I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Somewhere in that time frame, and he looked away, then he looked me back in the eyes. He goes, we found a life form. Welcome to Radio Motherboard. This is a very special episode, co-hosted by me, Adrian Jeffries, and my esteemed colleague, Jason Kebler, and featuring the eternal 23-year-old former guitarist and co-lead singer for the band Blink-180 Freakin' 2, Tom DeLonge. Wait, why is Radio Motherboard talking to Tom DeLonge, you might ask? It's not because he used to be on a poster in my bedroom, or because he's Jason's celebrity lookalike. It's not because Blink-182 just released a new song because he's no longer in the band. We wanted to talk to Tom DeLonge because he just co-wrote with the best-selling author A.J. Hartley a bonkers 700-page novel about aliens and UFOs that he claims is based on true events. And he has more, a lot more, where that came from. Back on March 28th, Motherboard received an email with the subject line, The Punk Rocker and the Department of Defense. The email claimed that Tom DeLonge had walked away from Blink-182 in order to pursue an ambitious multimedia project about UFOs titled Secret Machines. This project will include at least three novels, one nonfiction book, a documentary, and a soundtrack from his new band Angels and Airwaves. The email also included a link to a video featuring Tom DeLonge. Early this year, I set out to do something pretty challenging. I wanted to shift perception on an extraordinary topic that had already over 70 years of research, opinion, and frankly, quite effective disinformation. I had the rare opportunity to present my ideas to an executive with the Department of Defense who worked in special access programs in an area called Watertown, also known as Area 51. That meeting led to multiple clandestine encounters across the United States, from desert airports to vacant buildings deep within Washington, D.C. From these exchanges, I learned three things. One, there are certain things that should never have been secret. Two, there are secrets that were justifiable at the time but should now be disclosed. And three, there are things that are so terrifying and unimaginable that certain interests believe that they should never, ever be made public. After this, you might even agree. Jason and I decided to read DeLong's 700-page masterpiece. As soon as we started the foreword, it was clear we were in for an adventure. For as long as I can remember, I have sought answers, Tom writes. He goes on to say that, basically, he learned the truth about the government and aliens, but his sources would only allow him to tell the story if he swathed it in fiction. The novel, which is called Chasing Shadows, follows a cast of characters, including a skeptical journalist who runs a UFO debunking website, a former Marine pilot, a do-gooder heiress, and a Holocaust survivor. Basically, the journalist gets a hold of a diary written by the Holocaust survivor, detailing some things he saw relating to Nazi technology. 
The pilot gets recruited into a mysterious program, and the heiress uncovers a bizarre web of lies after the sudden death of her financier father. At some point, all the characters converge. The book also bounces between the present and the past, weaving a tale that wraps in pieces of UFO lore from Area 51 to the Roswell incident to Operation Paperclip, in which Nazi scientists were recruited to the U.S. in order to share their advanced knowledge with the American government. DeLong is no newbie on the UFO scene. In 2011, he founded a site called Strange Times, and he's appeared as a guest multiple times on Coast to Coast, the infamous late-night paranormal talk show. You know, you think of Blink-182, maybe I'm showing my age, but I think of these guys as a new band, but they've been around since 1992. They've sold uh, 27 million albums. But if you talk to uh, one of the co-founders, Tom DeLong, have a conversation with him, he doesn't talk a whole lot about music. He talks about UFOs and paranormal matters. Now, ufology is a crowded scene. It's not as if Tom DeLong is the first person to claim to know the real truth about aliens. I wanted to get a sense of the reaction from the UFO community, so I talked to Daniel List, also known as Dark Journalist. List runs a YouTube channel and has more than 3 million views on his videos about topics including the opaque black budget and the government's secrecy around high-tech projects. He's also known for his YouTube documentary, The CIA Patsy, which argues that Lee Harvey Oswald was set up to take the fall for killing JFK. Tom DeLong has been interested in UFOs for a long time. He had tried to launch a media project around it a couple years ago uh, that I, I think he ended up not pursuing. The first piece of it to come out is this book, Chasing Shadows, and uh, you mentioned that you had picked it up. Yeah, I'm about three quarters of the way through it now. and uh, It's pretty long. It is. It's about 700 pages. Yeah. That's one heck of a debut. You have to give him credit. Um, And, well, my first reaction was it's, uh, it's a fantasy novel. I mean, it is a novel. And... It reads like an X-Men movie, really, in some ways. I mean, it's, it's kind of a better plot, maybe, but it's reminiscent of Iron Man and that kind of thing. And I think in uh, Tom DeLonge's bio, he, he mentions that he's really into comics, you know, so that's this kind of way of telling the story. And many of the themes are regurgitated from alternative research community sources. So we have, you know, some Area 51 lore. There's some abduction lore. Uh, there's some ancient alien themes thrown in, and there's references to some of the fundamental cases, like Admiral Byrd, mm-hmm. who, in some of his expeditions, you know, he saw a series of discs, and he thought, oh, hey, the Nazis have a, a base down in Antarctica, you know. Yeah. I think uh, we also have to say, you know, A.J. Hartley's a major mystery writer. It's a New York Times bestseller who's known for writing thrillers. So, you know, he's writing this book around uh, Tom DeLonge's themes. So it's a thriller, and it reads like that. You know I mean? So it's kind of interesting as a book. You know, my impression is that it was determined to cram every alternative buzzword <laughs> in there. So as a novel, it's fun. I mean, it's interesting. But I think the issue really is, in his press releases and interviews, he keeps referring to it as though... It's real, you know, and it's he's talking to high-level figures of the military. So since that's never substantiated or proven, it feels like sales hype. It feels like PR. And yeah. it has a little bit of that feeling. And uh, it has a little bit of that Blair Witch <laughs> uh, 
kind of promo, which is, you know, people didn't know if that was real or not when it came out. So it's blurring the lines, I'd say, between some promo piece. You know, it could even be called performance art. You know, we could even have, we can imagine that he would come out in a couple of years and say, well, you know, I wanted to do this. I put the issue out there and I was using creative license. You know, it was performance art, so shoot me. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so that's unfortunately when you don't substantiate your sources and you say like five star generals gave me this information, it doesn't really do much for the credibility of the book. Right. So one of the things he says is that he is trying to spread knowledge. He's trying to spread the word. And I think he is not necessarily talking about reaching out to people who already believe in UFOs and are interested in the questions but also to get new people excited about the idea. And so I think that's his, his justification, if you take it on its face, for why he's doing fiction and nonfiction, kind of mixing the two. I think he's going to release a fiction book and then a nonfiction book and alternate that way for the next couple of years. Do you think that approach is valid? Well... I don't like the idea of a media enterprise, you know? So, like, here's, you know, if you're going to do a book, this is the interesting thing about the UFO community, I think, which is they want the truth. They don't want, you know, here's part one, and, you know, the sequel's coming, and I have a documentary on it, and I'm going to put it on a major network, and here's my CD that goes with it. You know, it seems like... uh you're selling sneakers and T-shirts. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I mean, this is very serious work. The implications of UFO technology are very serious for the economy. They relate to free energy. Uh, they change the paradigm with the petrol dollar. I mean, it, it's pretty significant. The reason the secrecy is so heavy. And you've had serious researchers, uh, nuclear physicists, you know, even astronaut Gordon Cooper, who talked about, well... You know, he saw UFOs and he understood it was a major secret inside NASA. So we have very high level confirmations of the phenomenon. And I think the idea of, you know, selling it like hotcakes in a package like that doesn't really appeal to the UFO community because they've already, you know, they've been flim flammed around. And what they're looking for is transparency. Uh, that's the way I look at it. And I think in something like this, it runs the risk regardless of the intention of coming off, really as a PR exercise. You know, like, hey, I have insiders, I have a group of 10 insiders giving me advice and they're five-star generals, but you can't meet them. And they won't go on the record, but they'll talk through me and my fiction books. See that? For me, that doesn't resonate much. Now, it may be, as far as entertainment goes, with a fantasy novel, it, it actually, you know, it works. It's an exciting story. As I've been reading the book, you know, they're good stories. You know, some of these people have done research all their lives on the topic, I think put a little more heft into trying to discover the reality of it without worrying about if part two of their new book coming was out, you know. So I think we have to get away from, if you know, when you want reality, uh, I think you have to get away from the idea of, I'm going to make this a transmedia blockbuster, you know, that's not what UFO research is about. It's about what's the truth of alien life visiting Earth? What's the truth of advanced technology flying in the sky and the government not talking about it? And possibly corporations re-engineering the technology 
you know, that's, those are very important questions. So for me, it kind of falls short on the reality side, even as entertainment, it's, it's kind of fun. Okay, so Dark Journalist isn't sold. It may be that the UFO community just isn't ready for Tom DeLonge, but Jason and I were still super stoked to talk to him. So uh, you guys would like to speak to me about certain things right here. That's Tom DeLonge. He was super nice, and he really appreciated that we had actually read the book. He even cracked a couple jokes at the beginning of the interview, which we miserably failed to record. Then we got into his book. I will say it is a good book, and I did not expect to say that. Um, no, no, you know, not, no offense to you, I hope, but just, you know, it's not the kind of book that I read. And also, like, when rock stars read books, they're not always great. Um, but uh, it's a page turner, and it's extremely well-paced. Like, it's, it starts out at a quick pace, and then at some point it starts to accelerate, and then at some point you, like, can't put it down, and it, it's 700 pages, and it really didn't feel like it. Um, so I will say I, I thought it was a good book. <laughs> Thank so you. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I trust like me, the baggage of being a musician and doing the things that I do now, it's, um, it's difficult. And, and, you know, and I say baggage because if you spent your whole life, you know, uh, as a painter, and then one day you come in and want to be a doctor, you know, so like, people are going to say, well, why should I let you operate on me? All you've been doing is painting for all these years, you know, so in my mind, uh, you, you don't have the skill sets required. Um, but you might say, no, I have a steady hand and, um, and I have the ability to concentrate for long periods of time and I have the ability to work my way around issues um, while I'm deep into something, you know, and then you start going, oh, wow, you can be a doctor, you know, but it's, uh, you know, for me coming in and doing this stuff, I'm up against quite a lot of skepticism. And I get that. It, and, I, and I willfully, you know, invite that and, and signed up for it because it's always a pleasant surprise when an artist does something that you weren't expecting and it was good, you know. I know what I'm doing. I'm not walking off of a stage in front of 100,000 people so I can go out and embarrass myself writing a really shitty book. That's just not, I'm, I'm not dumb, you know. So I, uh, I'm very excited about people like yourself giving it a shot and walking out after it and saying, wow, this was, this was pretty dope. What, so what, what is this all about again? And then I can step in and say, well, let me, let me take you on a bit of a ride, you know? And, uh, and, um, but what's even more important than that is what the purpose is for the entire project, because that's, what's really transformative. This is something, you know, there's things in that book you read that have never been told to the world before ever. And, and if you're into things like the UFO phenomenon or you're wondering about our place in the universe and you're wondering about why the government has secrets and you're wondering about the breakthroughs scientifically, uh, you know, or engineering breakthroughs that we've done and why they haven't come out. And, you know, if you're wondering about all these things, you're going to start to find those things within this project, within these books and within these films. So um, I very much was reminded of a book I read uh, by Peter W. Singer called Ghost Fleet. And I know you worked with him on this project a bit. Um, can you explain a little bit about, uh, you know, you just said that there are things here that have never been told before, but it's a fictional book. So uh, it's kind of based on, you know, real things and there are real things in the book. Um, are you hoping that people will be able to sort of read between the lines and see what is real and what is, you know, fiction? Absolutely. I know, um, I know Mr. Singer, we interviewed him 
for the documentary portions of what's going to be coming out over this next year for Secret Machines. Um, and, uh, yeah, he has a fantastic book with Ghost Fleet. I am absolutely serious when saying, you know, this is historical fiction. The characters are fiction. Those interludes are all real in the book. Um, the Even elements of going to Groom Lake or Area 51 and needing to, you know, have certain security protocols that take place in the book were put in there by other people. Um, all the way when down... When you say, and sorry, when you say the interludes, you mean there are these interstitial scenes where people see a UFO. Yeah, well, even, yeah, mm-hmm. even more than that, there's... Um, yeah, there's, there's the, we call them interludes, but yes, it's exactly what you described, where these stories take place throughout the book that seem to have nothing to do with the narrative that's, that's um, going on. As you read the book, you all of a sudden, you, you flip the page, and you're in this whole new chapter that has nothing to do with what you've been reading. And there's a very strong purpose for those, because it's framing, you know, let me back up here. The reason the architecture exists the way it does is so people can be handed very important information step by step about how it's financed, how it's kept secret, what it is, how the things work, what the science uh, issue existing to religion and, and, and to all the other things that go into this. And so what we've done is with those interludes is we're framing events that have happened um, and we will continue to do that in all the books. And we're getting you to understand that this stuff not only is real, and these events are real, but we're playing them out in such a way that you can step back and go, wow, I actually can see how that can happen. If someone came to you and just said, hey, uh, you know, there was about three crashes, maybe four, that happened in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, um, and they, they were from somewhere else. And they weren't human. And it was so advanced, it took a bunch of German scientists to figure out what it, how it worked or even theorize how it worked for decades. Whatever. If I just threw that on you, you would just go, okay, you're, you're smoking a lot of shit right now and uh, you're making things up and that's science fiction and there's no possible way. But if you take the time to walk through page by page uh, you know, how things work in a scenario like that and getting called in the middle of the night. As a, uh, there's one interlude about a little girl that has to go with her dad, who is, a, who is a, an engineer and scientist that gets called to an event out in the desert late one night. And the little girl's trying to understand what she sees. A bunch of men that are panicking, a bunch of men that are trying to understand something that seems a lot bigger than they are, a bunch of wreckage on the floor. And, um, and all those things kind of galvanize in her head the same way it would for a reader or the same way it would for any of us throwing it into a situation like that. So it's you're kind of being delivered a real event by not just throwing it all out, you know, in one breath. It's step-by-step learning as you go along. You know, there's an interlude in the book about uh, these UFOs shutting down our nuclear missiles. Well, we're going to revisit that interlude in book two from a different perspective and show how before they got shut down, they got turned on and they started going through uh, there's a train. They start- Whoa, that was spooky. <laughs> that was like they were turning on right now. I know. Well, they, they so we'll see how the missiles were turned on and started getting going through their launch sequences like they were all going to start launching. Uh, that's the other part of the story that people don't know. And so you're going to realize that 
before we tell you a UFO flew over some facilities in the 70s and turned on the weapons, let's just tell you there's a big, interesting machine that's glowing that turned off the missiles before we scare you and tell you a little bit more about what happened that evening, you know? Um, so the goal here is that it's historical fiction and we're, we're throwing a lot out there for people to digest and talk about. And uh, the ramifications of all of this and what it is and what it's doing and why to this day we're still dealing with it, um, that'll start to come out in book number two. And so as long as we ground everything in book one and, and talk about, you know, how we have we have certain things and we're exploiting this technology and other places on Earth have it as well. And everybody's in this kind of grand chess game and then showing you a few events of how these things happen and how it does really exist. Then you'll be open to all the other things we need to teach you in book two and three. Right. And I notice you keep saying we, which I was really curious about. I know you had a lot of people, you have a lot of people you're working with on this project, but you also collaborated with A.J. Hartley, who is a best-selling writer who writes everything from adventure and fantasy books to young adult fiction. And he's also a professor of Shakespeare at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte. And I was just curious how you two got hooked up. Like, how did you find him? Was he interested in this stuff as well? You know, he, he wasn't. Um, he, uh, you know, I knew of him through uh, his agent who I was talking to the agency about who would be good for this project. And she quickly said that AJ would be perfect for it. And when I started reading about him, I'm like, wow, this guy won book of the year for Hamlet, you know? Um, but then I started reading his other stuff where he was able to attack any subject or any genre and authors rarely can do that. Usually you're like a young adult author or you're a science fiction writer or you're a, a thriller writer. He can do any of it. And so, um, but when I, when I, when I was able to, to, to really sit with him and, and get to know him more, I learned that he's a very elevated thinker and a very elevated writer. And that's what the project needed, you know, and, and so it wasn't just like grabbing a science fiction author that knows how to create drama about, you know, googly eyed aliens that leave slime in the house. You know, this is he was going to he was going to attack it from a very grounded, real, um, rational way. And so the first three to six months of our relationship was me teaching him as much as I could about this subject. You know, he, it, 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 everyone knows about the idea of UFOs. Everyone's heard something about Roswell and every, you know, and everyone has their own opinions if it's even possible or not. But what nobody really knows is the enormity of the subject matter, you know, sitting with them and talking to him specifically about the secret space program, how it's financed, how it's hidden, what we're building, what we're doing and why we're doing it. And um, and then giving him all the documents and really showing him. He's just like, oh, my God, I had no idea that this is all this is all out there. Real Freedom of Information, of information Act requests and, and CIA reports and and whistleblowers or uh, high-level officials that have come out openly and talked about it. He just goes, none of this stuff makes it to normal people like me. <laughs> I know, I know. That's But that was by design. By design, that's how it's been disclosed to people so they can give you information, but you don't freak out over it because chances are 
it's not real because they've been also ridiculing it as they send it out. So no one's really scared of it. And that, that's what they wanted. They wanted everyone to know about this stuff, but they don't want people to be scared of it because they, they're dealing with it. They're, they're working really, really fucking hard to deal with a threat that's, that's existential to who we are as people. And they've made enormous progress, you know? So you exposed this world to him. How did it go after that? Like, how much of the writing was him and how much of it was you? Did, how did you come up with these characters? I wrote a screenplay, about like 180-page screenplay, that set off a lot of the characters and a lot of the tonality that I was going after. So he read that, and I think he got a good idea for what I was trying to achieve. I, I, uh, it's easier for me to write a screenplay than it is. I, I'm not a novelist, so number one. So, uh, the, but the, the, and I, this, uh, writing a script... I understand that medium because it has an element of um, visualization as you're reading, you know, in between dialogue, just for the action sequences and whatever. But so he read that and then he would come, then we came back and we said, okay, well, what's the best architecture for what we're trying to achieve? And to, for, we decided that a Game of Thrones type architecture worked because there's a lot of characters interweaving out of each other's lives over a long period of time. So, There's so many characters. Yeah, so <laughs> it, it, uh, that's that's what we needed. It's a long cast. And we wanted and needed to talk about all these things because it's not, you can't just go and, if you really want to discuss the subject, you can't go in and just say, you know, he had one character and he works at SETI and they heard a signal and there's life. It's like, that's not doing anything for what ha has happened. I mean, even when we deal with some of the retrievals that we've had of the technology, you know, who's, who, whose POV are you going to go with? The, the general in charge of the wreckage, the scientist that spends years underground trying to figure out how it works, the intelligence operative, uh, operative that's running around and, and, and gathering information uh, amongst what's happening in the world because of what this phenomenon is doing. I mean, whose POV are you going to use? So for us, we said we need a lot of POVs, a lot of points of view. And so we, we, he read, basically, he, he read my stuff. Um, you know, I educated him on everything. We came up with an architecture that can hold a lot of different characters to tell the enormity of the story. And then he would go away and start writing. Then he would send me the material, I would review it, and I would make notes and changes, and then he would go away again. Once it was finished, I sent that to a handful of my advisors and had them pour through it and change a whole bunch of things that they felt needed to be changed. And then I got information at the final. <laughs> I got some really explosive stuff at the, at the, at the bottom of the ninth inning to include. And, um, and that's what I'm saying. All the way up to print, we were being handed things to have in this book. And that's what's, that to me is... That sounds like our job. <laughs> it's, it's exciting, man. I, I can't even tell you. Mm -hmm. I, I'm pulling over in my car on a busy street as I'm getting an email that says, you know is there still time to include this? And I read it, and it's two pages of the most explosive shit I've ever read. And I've been studying this stuff for 20 years, so, you know. Yeah. Someone like me, so, I, feel like I, feel, I feel like I know a lot about it, but then I get some of the, this information, I go, holy shit, this is, it makes all the sense in the world, but holy shit, you know. Right. I really uh, related to the character of Tamika, and I liked, uh, you know, her arc. And I was wondering if you ever felt like her during the reporting and writing of this book? 
Um, that's a good question. I went- yeah, sorry. Tamika is the jur- uh, kind of like a skeptical journalist who kind of debunks a lot of conspiracy theories. And then she's delivered this uh, journal from a Holocaust survivor that sets her on this like very crazy path. Right. And, and I think most people will relate to Tamika. I didn't because I knew that the stuff was real. I knew um, a lot about it. So I wasn't coming at this as a skeptic. But most people will. And I think that's why her character is so important. Um, but the more important thing about her character is she's helping you realize what happened in World War II. It's a very, very important part of the story. Um, the first crashes that was told to me that happened was with Germany in the 20s. So Germany had the first pieces of something that fell on their land that no one knew what it was, and that's why their science and their war machine was so much more advanced, the V2 rockets and all that kind of stuff. Um, And that's why we grabbed all the German scientists in Operation Paperclip and brought them over here, and they all went into the Apollo space program and worked uh, out in uh, Utah and New Mexico. We had we had like a few thousand uh, German Nazi scientists come over. I mean, Werner von Braun was a Nazi scientist on the cover of Time magazine for, for leading all the scientists um, at NASA. He was in charge of building the rocket that took the Neil Armstrong to the moon. You know, so we needed to be able to tell a story back in World War II, because that's when things really started um, happening with this phenomenon. And phenomenon's been around forever, but um, our interactions with it uh, to, to to this degree it really started, you know, with Germany in the 20s. Yeah, so I was reading about Operation Paperclip, and you're totally right. It was 1,500 scientists and engineers who were recruited to the U.S. after uh, the fall of Nazi Germany, and their reasoning was that, of course, they wanted that technical ex- expertise for themselves, but they also said, oh, we want to make sure these people don't end up working for Russia or working for, like, a newly arisen Germany. Um, so that was an interesting experience for me, was reading the book and then going and looking up things online and finding out that they were actually, like, real and basically what how they were represented in the book, like... Uh, the other thing that I had to look up was the Ash Meadows speckled dace, which in the book is this fish that's like supposedly endangered, but it's kind of really just so that the government can keep people out of Area 51. Um, and so I looked it up, and it's and it's real, and there's a fish and wildlife entry for it, and so that was a weird experience for me. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there, I'm telling you, you know, and, and, and if people have an open mind and and really, you know, kind of uh, surrender a lot of their belief systems and, and they're going to, I think you can come out changed. Uh, the, the advisors that I'm working with are in charge of these topics, in charge, you know, and, and so people have to realize that this project over the coming years, what it's going to do is is potentially groundbreaking if it does what I think it can do. But I have a lot of work ahead of me to pull it all off. But um, we're doing some, some really interesting documentaries and news pieces at the moment on this entire project that'll let people know further how real this is. 
So why do these people want this story out if they're kind of, uh, you know, aware of these sorts of things and are in charge of them? I'm curious, like, what their incentive is. Uh, well, I think it's something they want everyone to know about. They don't think that this, uh, this information should be exclusive to them. The, the reason they're keeping it secret is because it's, you have to think of it like a war operation, uh, an intelligence operation. They're in the middle of doing something that requires extreme secrecy because of the adversaries they're dealing with, not because of you and I can't handle it. Um, so they want the human race to know about these things and to transform the way people think. But they don't have entire divisions dedicated to teaching us about it and having us absorb the info and what that means for society. You know, what we're going to be attacking in the next book and uh, with the project is religion. So the religion plays a very, very big part of the UFO phenomenon. And if you look at what's happening on Earth, the religious divides and the perpetual state of war, that's something that only a new generation of youth that thinks differently about their own personal belief systems can come together and get us out of that mess. And there's only one topic in the, that I've ever heard of that I know anything about that, that can change somebody's religious beliefs. And it's going to be a topic like this, but it's a very touchy subject, you know, and it's a very difficult thing for people to accept. Um, but it's coming. So that's interesting that you say that people, you know, uh, we're talking about people in the government don't think that the truth is not something that people can handle. It's just that it's a geopolitical sensitive situation because I noticed that in your book, the government characters are kind of like cool, suave men in black guys and they're the good guys, which is that's unusual for people who talk about UFOs. Like, often people who are UFO conspiracy theorists, whatever you want to call them, they think the government is the bad guys. Yeah, I know. Trust me, I know. And and that can't be further from the truth. It's um, And I'm not saying that because I'm being used by these guys. When you find out the real reasons for secrecy and what they're doing, um, it it's transformative and it makes you go, holy shit, that makes perfect sense. And how do I help? You know, what do you guys need? You know, what, what is, you know, what is a way that it's kind of like when 9-11 happened and everyone went to sign up the next day. It's because when it comes down to truth and when it comes down to, you know, the powers that be that are being transparent of what they do, you know, then you trust them. And then you say, well, let me help you. Like, what do we need to do? And this topic should have that element to it um, once you find out why they're keeping it secret and what they're doing for us all that they get no credit for. They just don't have an arm of their machine <laughs> that takes its time to come and talk to us and make sure we understand. You know, you got to think about it, think about it this way. It's kind of like you have a group of soldiers over in Afghanistan right now that are putting their lives at risk every single day to go do something that keeps us safe. Now, since they don't have anybody to take the time and go and tell us what they're doing, 
we just talk every single day as civilians and we just go, yeah, there's some guys that just like killing people and they just so bad just want to go out and shoot them up. They're like these crazy, like good old boys from Texas that just always wanted to have a machine gun, you know? And so we start defining them because they don't have a mechanism to tell us what they're doing. But if you went to Afghanistan, you'll find out that they're good guys. They're, they just got out of high school and in, in, in some cool city and they're normal like you and I, and they're being asked to do some very difficult things. And every single day, they're trying to hunt down somebody that's trying to let off a biological weapon inside of our borders. And you're kind of going, oh my God, you guys are dealing with some really heavy shit. And we're over here just trying to act like you just want to be at war and kill people because we don't know, because we don't talk to you. We don't know anything about what you're doing. And, and it's those kind of eye-opening experiences that make us think differently about our government or the, or the Department of Defense or whatever. Are there bad people? Yeah. You know, are there, are there, you know, Nixon was arguably a bad president. He did bad shit, you know. And uh, it doesn't mean that, that everyone's good. But the operations and the reasons and what they're doing and what they're trying to accomplish, those are all, I believe, after dealing with the men and women that I'm dealing with, and, and asking very specific questions and being told very specific things about the enormity of this, that um, they need to be given, they need to be supported and they need to be given credit for some, in, for some revolutionary things that they've done over the past 60 years. Like re- stuff that the entire world should be thankful for, not just the United States. Right, right. And you talk about kind of like signing up after 9-11. And I was wondering, um, you know, was there a moment when you decided to sign up for this? And um, it's like very obvious that this is such a passionate project for you. And I would imagine like maybe one of the most important things, like getting this the word out about this. Um, I'm just curious, like when that sort of happened. I imagine that at some point, being in Blink-182 was the most important thing in your life. And it seems like now this is the most important thing in your life. When did that change? Um, you know, I went through a hand uh, in the very beginning, it took a couple months to be connected to very specific people. Um, when I got connected to this one person that is of the highest level and rank in a very, very specific division of the Department of Defense. When I sat with that person in the back of a bar restaurant by ourselves, and the very first thing he does is looks me in the eye and says it was the Cold War. And every single day, we thought nuclear war could happen. Every single day, we were prepared that the end of the world could be coming because of, because of uh, you know, the state of affairs between very powerful countries and people. He's all, but somewhere in that time frame, and he looked away, then he looked me back in the eyes. He goes, we found a life form. And everything we did and every decision we made was because of the consciousness at the time. Right at that moment, my heart sank. And I, and I have the chills right now that I tell this to you. I realized that I'm dealing with some very, very important and explosive stuff. And I better quickly make sure I'm respectful and I give it the, I give it the sensitivity it deserves. I sent, I sat there for two hours after that and had the meeting of my lifetime. And ever since then, um, 
I have a relationship with 10 people that at times each one of them is doing that same type of conversation with me. Um, I walked out of that, and that's all going to be in the documentary and everything that we're doing, but walking out of those situations over that first few months, I realized quickly that going from being in a big rock and roll band that, that touches people's lives in a certain way or that is a lot of fun or it's my passion or this or that is a completely different thing than dealing with something that is, is, can change the world, you know, like can literally change that, not me, but what these guys are doing. And I just wanted to be a part of it. I just want to be a part of something that's that, that is that important. And if, if I'm one of the sparks that ignites uh, in a, a new way for everyone and a new, a new awareness of ourselves, then that to me was, was definitely worth it. That's, in, that's very intense. <laughs> I know, right? I know. I, Are you? The whole thing's crazy intense. And I think people, they, uh, they're, they're just so quick to think they know who I am and what I do. And they have, they really have no clue what I'm involved in, you know? So, uh, yeah, I'm hoping that I mean, do you do you get anything from your fans like where they feel like, hey, we were here for fun and now you're trying to like now I feel like I'm in school. Like, do you get any kind of like what is the reaction from your fans been? Well, that's a good question. I'm, this, you know, this isn't a band project. Anybody that's followed my band Angels and Airwaves knows that I've been involved and passionate with larger kind of themes for a very long time. It's our 10 year anniversary this year. And so I think those fans are, have always been open and engaged with some of the broader ideas that I've had um, as part of the ethos of that art project. And it's not a band, it's an art project. Um, you know, but I think people also know that I've done a lot in my life. I've, I've been building companies and doing, um, a lot of different things outside of Blink-182. So I think at this point, most of my fans have come to expect that I'm gonna try very ambitious stuff. And hopefully, uh, it, you know, it's not too big of a turnout. Are there a lot of people out there that just don't, that don't care what I'm, yeah, of course. Are there a lot of fans out there like, you know, go back out with Blink and play some fast songs and make me feel like I'm 16 again, you know? That's always going to exist, and I understand why, because it's important to them, and that part of their life is, is connected to what I did, um, and they want to they see it more, and I get that, and, uh, and they will. They will see more of that, but, you know, there's, I'm a complicated dude. You know, there's a lot of things that I'm passionate about, and um, there's a lot of things that I want to accomplish uh, before, I'm, before I'm gone, you know? Right. For the people who do want to learn more, um, what are your favorite UFO news sources or where should people be looking for more besides your books, obviously? You know, that's a really good question. Um, there's a guy named Joseph Farrell that, you know, you can't judge a book by its cover because the covers to his books sometimes look really, really fringe. But he's a Ph.D. from Oxford in ancient religions, and he's written a lot of books following the movements of technology and people after the fall of the Nazi empire, you know, uh, the short-lived empire, uh, and leading its way into the military-industrial complex and following that technology and following those threads. And you can learn a hell of a lot from his books. 
a hell of a lot. And um, he's, I think he has a tremendous gift. I will tell you this. One of the biggest secrets I was told to communicate, he is the only person out of 200 books that I've read that was saying the same thing. And I thought that was pretty, uh, pretty telling. Are there like websites for sort of like breaking UFO news? I mean, if there's like any event somewhere, or sighting somewhere, like oh, where yeah. would one? Like, what are what are the best ones? There's, or the you most know, I don't follow ones, those. I yeah, I don't follow those sites. There's so many of them. I mean, MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, is the biggest and most respected. And people have to realize that even MUFON, as as a as an international um, civilian run organization to study UFO reports and to archive information. What people don't know is that some of the highest ranking um, military and intelligence operatives in the country have retired and gone and run that organization for long after their retirement, starting back in the 50s. So people have to you know, you can't just look at it like it's some weird fringe um, organization. That's not the case. I think they would be blown away to know what types of people have been involved in building that organization over the years. And there's a reason. Because the government does get some of its information from organizations like that. You know, a lot of people think the CIA knows everything and they have magical powers to have more info than everybody else. What people don't realize is the CIA gets its information from the earth the same way we do. News sources, people on the ground asking around, do they have satellites and operatives that you know, can get into the, the, the fine print of what's happening? Yes, they do. But if you spend enough time and you, and you follow the events of the world uh, closely, you, you can learn a hell of a lot. And that's why I've got the relationship with people that I have is because I knew a hell of a lot. And when I put forth a thesis of what the UFO phenomenon was, I didn't put forth an idea that you're seeing on some weird show on the History Channel on a Sunday afternoon. You know, I assembled a, a thesis uh, painstakingly over many years doing a lot of research. And um, I'm not in the CIA, but I was still able to get very close to what's going on. I asked our editor-in-chief, um, Derek Mead, who knows a lot more about UFOs than I do, what we should ask you. And he said, um, I told him a little bit about the book, and he was surprised to hear that Area 51 or Dreamland is a big part of it. And he was like, oh, UFO, like, UFO conspiracy theorists, that crowd, like, they've all moved on from Area 51. Like, Area 51 is passe in the community. Like, I guess, I don't know if it's because the government has acknowledged its existence now or why, but he... He said Area 51 is like, nobody cares about it anymore. That's is not, that, no, is that's that not, true? <laughs> that's, not, that's not exactly the truth. There are many sites where they do many different things. Um, one site uh, in particular has four different locations, and the first three locations are just to throw you off where the fourth one is. So the way I was told is if you showed up at one, they'd say, this isn't the real place, it's over here. And by the time you get your way to the fourth one, they'll arrest you. Um, Area 51 is in the book because all we're talking about right now are the beginnings of test flights and, uh, you know, proving a technology and starting to get out uh, uh, 
let me let me play it this way. Let me say it this way. You, when they build a technology for the first time, they build the pieces in many different locations. They assemble it all together at one location. When they test it, they do it at a different location. And when they operate it, they do that at a different location. So Area 51 is in the book because they're in the middle of proving and testing the technology. In the other books, you'll learn more. Um, there's one that will be in book number two that nobody's ever heard of. That is going to that is pretty fantastic. I wanted to talk about one of my favorite parts of the book, um, and there this is a spoiler. So if you haven't read it, maybe skip the next two minutes or something. Um, it's the part where Tamika is kidnapped and put into basically a saucer, I guess, and um, there are aliens in this saucer uh, and. You know, she's kidnapped and you don't really know what, what's happened to her. And then she kind of fights her way out and you find out that the aliens are people dressed up in suits. And uh, I, I like that part because it happens maybe like halfway through the book or three quarters of the way. And I was like, oh, here are the aliens. And it was sort of like this, uh, you know, bait and switch sort of thing. And I'm curious if you could just talk a little bit about why you put that scene in or is that is that something that you believe happens like you it's done to kind of undermine her as a journalist like she saw this very stereotypical thing that lots of people report seeing um and i just wanted to know if you could talk a little bit more about like what went on there yeah the that scene in the book is early on when the ufo phenomenon started having all these abduction reports pop up there were there were groups that would stage those events specifically to try and get the the consciousness to not think it was alien. Um, so we would do these operations to make people think, oh, it's just the military. The military is doing some crazy stuff, you know. Um, and, and, and the military wanted that. They wanted people to think that the abductions were just the military because the, the real information, the truth is much scarier, and they don't want people knowing that. Same thing with cattle mutilations. Uh, we would find cows mutilated, blood missing, no vascular collapse, uh, you know, cutting in between cells, hearts missing with no incisions whatsoever, jaws and, and genitals cored out with intensive heat, and, and then the cow would be dropped from a, from a very high elevation and, and in a pit on the ground because of the impact. I mean, really creepy, weird shit. The military would know that event happened probably because they can monitor, monitor um, the movements of certain craft and they would race to that location and they would throw like a gas mask into the grass nearby. So when people come by and they see this mutilated cow, they go, oh, here's a gas mask. The military's doing a secret operation because they want you to think it's the military. They don't want you to think about what it really is. And so what we're setting up with that scene is specifically that. And the idea of that in the book is to let you know that the subject's much larger and more complex and that we're going to start to understand that those operations existed because they wanted, they needed time to get, the, get a handle on everything and to create defensive mechanisms uh, for it. And they don't want people freaking out, you know? So what they would do is they would go and, you know, create their own alien abduction scenario but at the end of the day 
it seems like it's military and it was probably military. I remember seeing a military guy there. That's all I remember. And then everyone starts to go, okay, these are all military things. This the, the UFO thing. It's not real. That's what they wanted. So I also liked that scene, but I wanted to ask you about the scene that was probably the one that I felt like took me out of the narrative a little bit, um, which was one of the interludes uh, we talked about before, how you have these scenes of people having sightings that are based on real reported sightings. And there's this one where this couple is driving in the back country and they see something in the sky and they see a light and then they have memory loss for three hours. Um, and then it's like when they're coming back to consciousness, they're saying... Uh, you know, like, that they feel violated, they feel dirty, and, like, they need to take a shower, and it was, like, I don't know if this is what you intended, but to me the subtext was that there had been some kind of anal probe level sort of of thing that happened, and that's when I was, like, okay, I was, like, I was, I was riding along with this, and then we get to the part where there's the anal probe, and then you just, like, you can't help but roll your eyes. You're just, like, this is, like, all right, so we're... This is National Enquirer, like, bat boy territory. Yeah, it's hard for you guys to... First of all, we don't say anal probing, but let's make that clear. But uh, but I hear what you're saying. Um, right. You don't explicitly say anal probing. That was something that I read into it, so maybe that says more about me than about the <laughs> book, but that was what I got out of no, it. No, 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 I get it. Yeah, what, what people will have to realize is that that is true. And what is going on with the UFO phenomenon has to do with genetics. It has to do with the DNA of mankind. It has to do with some other stuff I can't talk about. And that is going to start to be addressed in book number two, um, where people will start to understand why it's happening in the first place. And that when somebody goes through what they don't understand that we call an abduction scenario, and they feel violated and they see the medical tests and they know that something is going on with their own body. Um, that is very, very true. Uh, there's a doctor, Dr. Roger Leary, he's a surgeon. He just passed away last year, but he, he removed over, over 11 implants from people where they, where they knew that he was the one doctor that actually did it. We'd do the MRI, find out where the implant is. And he would take it out. Sometimes the implant would call, crawl deeper into the person's body. Sometimes the implant would break, but then reassemble itself. Sometimes the, the implant would be um, sending uh, extremely low radio frequencies. That when you look up in the government, which band of frequency that is, it would be one that NASA reserves for deep space communication. Uh, sometimes after the people... The guy, somebody would see the implant or know they have an implant. He would take it out. He would go to their house and everything is magnetized at the house. The dirt, the, the wood, the tree, the window, the glass, everything's magnetized. You know? So um, the point is, is what are these implants doing? How are they being put in? And, 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 and we know how, in some cases, how we've taken them out. Um, and we sent them to, to laboratories. Um, they're always, it's nanotechnology. That's what they did find out. A lot of times it's containing elements they, that aren't even here on Earth. And, um, and he's done extensive research on that as, as the sur- – I mean, this is a guy that can lose his medical license for talking about aliens, you know. Um, it's a very serious thing. So it's, but it comes, at, it comes out like science fiction. It, like, what the fuck are you talking about? Anal probing? And that, but that was by design. You know, the Brookings Institution think tank 
put out a plan how to ridicule the information as they release it. That way, exactly what you're doing happens. You've heard about it, but it sounds outlandish, so you don't really believe it. But you're still kind of curious to know more about it, but you're not scared. And that's exactly what you're doing. And that was by design. I am kind of scared. The idea of alien implants that are burrowing deeper into your body that were inserted by an anal probe is terrifying. Well, it's not inserted by an anal probe, but, uh, but it is. Inserted. It's not. Is that a spoiler? <laughs> no, no, no. The, the, that whole thing, um, the anal probe is it's a big joke. You know, obviously, I don't know um, everything that, that happens in those situations, but you should read a book or a series of books by a guy named John Mack. John Mack was the head of Harvard Medical School. He was a psychiatrist that believed the abductions were real. He just passed away, um, got hit by a car out of nowhere in London a few years ago. They tried to kick him out of Harvard because they thought what he was doing was crazy. But they ended up keeping him in because he won all the lawsuits and he was the head of the entire medical school. He wrote like five books on abductions and he says, this is real. And you can read any of them on Amazon right now and read all of the all of the, the the books that he's written and and the twenty thousand people that he's interviewed and studied um, from all over the world, all different ethnicities and, and and races and ages and locations, and they're all it's all exactly the same stuff. There's a series of medical experiments that happen to certain people with certain genetic lineages over a period of time. And they follow them through their whole life, and it has something to do with the DNA. So, how much of this story do you think that you know? Like, if you had to put a percentage on it, like how much of this overall, um, you know, project, the UFO, the various UFO projects, do you believe that you know? And do you think that, um, you know, I'm sure you're constantly learning more, but um, how? Like, have you put all the pieces together? No, I, uh, you know, it used to be a joke between me and my friends. I would call them up. I go, holy shit. I now know 95% of the truth. And then I'll call them two days later. I go, dude, it's down to 85, <laughs> you know, but uh, that was always like a running joke with me and my friends. But um, I think when you're talking about building blocks of what's going on, I, I know a great deal, you know, um, but it's a very, it's a very large, complex uh, topic, you know, and there's a lot of things I don't know. I don't know all the, the many different programs that they're doing all over the world and the trillions of dollars they've spent and what they're studying and what weapons they've actually built. I know some of the craft that they've built. I don't know, you know, I just know certain things. I just know certain things. And, 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 uh, and I know the basics and the foundations for what's going on. But this is, you know, I have a guy, I own the life rights uh, to a scientist and I'm putting out his autobiography later this year that worked underground for six months in 1989 as a scientist back engineering in the alien propulsion engine. And his story not only is true, but it's, you know, he told me that when he worked there, only 22 people on Earth knew of that base in the mountain. 22. There were only 22 people. You know, like if you went to an admiral that was running the Pacific Fleet for the Navy, 
out in the oceans that had multiple carriers under his command and he was a big time admiral. That guy was not one of the 22. He would know nothing about that base. You know, does that make sense? So it's, it's, it's very, yeah. very, very compartmentalized. Okay, so um, I have a hardball question for you. So, to be totally honest, when I first heard about this project, when we got in touch with Michael, your rep, um, my immediate thought was that it's a gimmick, that it's like a put-on where you, Tom DeLong, are pretending to be a conspiracy theorist so that you can sell more Angels and Airwaves albums and secret machine books and t-shirts and movies. Like, on the To The Stars Media site, you are already selling a Chasing Shadows collectible bundle that includes the book and the t-shirt and the Angels and Airwaves soundtrack. And I just want to ask you straight up, is you being a UFO conspiracy theorist like a Joaquin Phoenix-style marketing stunt? No. <laughs> no. Uh, but I get it. I get why you would ask that. No, it's not. And and I totally understand why people would think that. That's why I think over time, you know what? I'll tell you this. I I let in one journalist um, that writes for a very big news organization that everyone knows, and she was able to meet one of my advisors specifically because he gave the okay. So she knows from who and what level that person is and how real the people are that I'm working with. And that news story I'm, I'm hoping will come out here shortly. And I think after that news story with a journalist being given access, you'll be able to go, holy shit, this is real. Interesting. Well, and we'll definitely way, follow up. And by the way, I have a big thing coming out with Rolling Stone here soon, and they were denied. I went to the advisors and said, hey, uh, can't, they want to know if they can meet one of you. And they said, no, they don't care. They don't care if Rolling Stone believes them or not. It's too, they're too small. Like this one was different because this journalist knew one of my advisors personally and she didn't even know that he was an advisor. So I sought her out and I said, you're, you're being given permission. So it's a totally, it's, it's just, it just happened to work out that way. Well, I'm, I'm super excited to read that. And, um, regardless of what the motivation is, it's, a really fun book, I will say, um, and uh, and yeah, it was fun to read it, and it was really amazing to get the chance to talk with you. So thank you for that. Yeah, and thanks for being honest. I get how hard it is to believe that a guy like me would even get this kind of access, but I got this kind of access because I spent a very long time proving myself, earning the trust, and executing, um, and presenting what I thought it all was, and being on the money. And so they knew that they had a guy that 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 uh, that can do things with a voice that they can't do. And then I continued to pull off elevated work. You know, wait, wait, every time I was given when I was given the book and how it was released and who I'm talking to and all that kind of stuff, and how respectful I was about it. I think they look at at what I'm doing as as a rare opportunity because if they would grab anybody else from Hollywood that is not an academic on this subject, that is out just to tell a cool story, um, they wouldn't do it, you know? They know that what I'm trying to do is change, is change the status quo of what people think of themselves and the world around them and attack it respectfully and tell it with truth and not mislead anybody and not put my own kind of dogma into it. Um, they, I've been very, very formal about how I deal with them. Everything's a yes, sir, no, sir, 
everything is, yeah, you know, I, I if it, it's the, you know, it, I don't use names. I use rank when I when I talk to these people. So it's a it's a very formal process. So. For the record, I don't think that it's a marketing stunt, and I think that if it were, it would be so very elaborate that I'd just be beyond impressed. So I appreciate um, that. No, I this is uh, you know on my family. Um, it is. This is all very real. So I'm hoping that uh, with things like this, the, the news piece that's going to be coming out, and when the documentary and docu series when that drops, and you see the story, and we and, and we tell it the way it happened, um, and some other things, I think I think people will kind of go, holy shit, this is this is something I got to pay attention to. I have one final question for you, Tom. What do you think of the new X Files? Not a, not a fan. I, I mean, I like the whole, I like what it is because it's, it's, it's a great entertaining show, you know. Um, but when you see what I'm doing with this project and that subject, it'll be, um, it'll just be very elevated and it'll be, it'll be cool and it'll be real and I won't need to sensationalize stuff. You know, when you read the book and that pilot is being told how the craft flies, I was given that information exactly how it is in the book. When you read the information what the craft looks like in the simulator, um, I was given that. When you read the security protocol he had to go through, you know, where people put bags on their heads and get on the tarmac, I was given that. Um, at the, the end of the book, when the guy slides a book across the table on the last page of the book, that is not my words. Somebody else's. So people uh, should just be... Uh, I hope people get excited for the way I'm going to present this stuff when it when it when we do the films. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, this was very fun for me, and it was a great book. And I like look forward to the other projects, the other pieces of this project, rather. Right on. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you uh, hopefully in the future. Bye bye. So, let's debrief. That was very intense. It was very intense. We it, just it went kind of how I was expecting it to go. Yeah, I I was worried that he would ramble and it would be boring, and it kind of was for parts of it. Yeah, there were certain Is that what parts. You were worried about? Uh, well, I just I know that he takes this very very seriously, which is good. But sometimes it's like a little bit too serious in terms of uh, making for an entertaining for podcast. An entertaining podcast interview. Um, but I think yeah. it went well. There were good parts of it. Yeah, I think so, too. Do you think he was mad at me at the end? He signed off kind of abruptly. I don't think he was mad at you. I think that um, he has dealt with a lot of this stuff over the years of people thinking that he's totally insane. Um, when it's clear that he's not totally insane, I would say. I think, uh -huh. at least. <laughs> I mean, it's clear he's passionate about this sub very fringy subject, but... He is, like, an intelligent person who has done a lot of research and, like, has people skills of some sort, you know. Um, uh -huh. I don't think that he's insane. That was going to be my question. Is he crazy? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I don't think that he's crazy. I also don't. I haven't done my own research and I don't think that. I don't think that the conspiracies are. I don't know if I believe it. Believe what he's saying about the government covering up UFOs and like putting. He's saying that uh, aliens came to Earth, they left some technology behind, they maybe still are here, and that the government has tried to cover it up in the past but now wants people to know about it and they want to communicate this through Tom DeLong. Yes. That's what he's saying. And right. also, he's saying that the government and humans have basically reverse engineered alien technology and have developed our own. Correct? I'm not totally clear on that. Well, it was like, there's some technology that comes from the Nazis and some technology that comes from Russia. And some from aliens. And some from aliens, yeah. So, But I'm not totally sure if like all of it is from aliens or if some of the technology was developed by the Russians and by us on our own. Right. The thing that I will say is that the government stuff sounds plausible to me in that the government has secret projects and some of them are more advanced than others. Um, The alien stuff is kind of where you lose me in terms of aliens visited or crashed here and, like, we're now using their technology, which is what happens at the end of this book. Um, I I find that much less plausible than... Like, the government has several secret projects that uh, have led to people seeing weird things in the sky. And these these projects are both secret and funded in a weird and potentially problematic way. Yeah. I mean, the part where he loses me actually is not in the details of what the story is. But when he says that he has a high-level government source who is high level enough to know about this stuff, someone who is lower level and you think that they're higher level, did you meet someone who is messing with you? Did you come up with all of this in a dream or in some kind of delusion? Where does that scene of him being in the back of a bar and being told we found a life form, where does that come from? Yeah, I would I would agree entirely with that skepticism in terms of, yeah, like why are they speaking to him and why are they choosing like Tom DeLonge to convey the story to the masses and yeah. that that seems implausible to me maybe we're just jealous because we're journalists and he apparently is really good at sourcing also i mean i know he's been studying this for a very long time but like he put together this 700 page book in like a year maybe and like has all these other things i mean well it, i'm not just get I, in terms of from when the project was announced and that sort of thing um I mean, obviously, he could have been working on it for longer, um, and maybe we should have asked, but I feel like we wouldn't have gotten a very good answer to that question. But um, in any case, I I mean, I think that he's been very busy with Blink-182, and, like, notoriously, Blink-182 has not liked him because his attention has not always been focused on the band. It's always been focused on these other sort of, like, existential-type questions. Right. So I don't know how much of this work he was doing on the side, but 
I mean, within the last several years, they put out an album, they were touring, like he's put out Angel and Airwaves stuff. Like he's a very prolific artist. Um, and I find it like this is a 700 page book. There are two more coming probably quite soon. Um, there's no timeline right now, but I would guess that, you know, they're going to follow faster than you think. There's documentary, there's feature films that are like uh, fictional films. And yeah, it's just like, where where is all this coming from? It's, it's happening very quickly. I want to ask Derek about this. I want Derek to listen to this interview. If we can get Derek to spend an hour listening to this interview. Yeah. I want to know what he thinks. Yeah. Is he crazy? Is he doing a marketing stunt? Or or what? Yeah, Those I guess kind of the only two. I guess so. In my head so when you I'm say right, so when you say marketing stunt, like I, it is a marketing stunt, the fact that, like, this is his shtick now. Like, people, like, Tom DeLonge is a well-known UFO conspiracy theorist, and, like, he... Yeah, I like, mean, you people, just... Look at this website. It looks like... It's like an e-commerce site. It's like, shop, new, members, apparel, music, books, forum. It's really slick. It looks nothing like any other UFO site. It's like, they've got Twitter, they've got Instagram, like... This is, and I think it's going to work. Like, I, I'm i not kidding. The book is good. It's a good read. It could, it could be a bestseller, I think. And he could, you know, you could probably make a movie out of it. I don't know if the movie would succeed, but as a book, it's like a pretty good read for a page-turner kind of New York Times bestseller paperback type of book. Exactly, yeah. The book is, like, it's very... It's it's not hard to read at all. Like it, as Adrian said, it's a, it's a page turner. Um, like you're not going to lose God, the plot. Thank God, because we, yeah. we really wanted to read it before this interview, and uh, and thankfully we were able to. Yeah, I mean it, it's 700 pages, and we didn't have like very much time to read it. Um, and like I blew through 450 pages in like three hours today. But yeah, like it's not it's not very. Um, I would say it's. Um, functional free, writing like free u.s shipping on orders over a hundred dollars like sign up to subscribe to our newsletter yeah yeah i don't know it's i mean it's like this a media like company it is it yeah. is yeah it's it's by it's definitely his next act i mean he he has angels and airwaves going and like i mean that's kind of part of this but this is his this is his thing now he left blink 182 to do this like, he's no longer in Blink-182. Right, they replaced like, him with a member of Alkaline Trio. Yeah, Matt Skiba, I think, I believe. But yes, uh, like, he gave up the most popular thing he's ever done to do this. Right. At the same time, Blink-182 has peaked. That is true. And a, a smart person who didn't want to peak when they were 40 would be thinking about what to do next. Pivot. Yeah, I don't know if pivot's the right word, but just like, you know, keep keep growing, keep doing new things, keep learning, keep making an impact on the world. Yeah. I, I don't know. I would say before we talked to him, I was like pretty convinced that this was like a Joaquin Phoenix like commitment to pretending to be a conspiracy theorist in order to like sell this whole project, which I thought was a savvy move after talking to him. It was very convincing to me, the idea of Tom DeLonge as a true UFO conspiracy theorist, like, in the InfoWars, National Enquirer, Weekly World News. 
vain. Vain, yeah. Although yeah. he is weirdly pro-government, which... Yeah, that's, I kind of, I really like that. And I guess it's maybe just because, like, they have it's helped comforting. him out. It's comforting. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it makes him seem a little bit more sane to me. Yeah, that, like, I think so, too. Um, yeah, he's he's not, like, a 9-11 truther, etc. It's kind of, he's not, like, a truther about every single thing. It's this one very specific, um, you know, thing. It's this one very specific aspect of conspiracy theory that yeah. he's interested in. I just noticed in, on this website, in the latest tweets section, the To The Stars Twitter account, To The Stars Inc., is tweeting with Ava Blink Me 182. It's weird to me to think about these people who are Blink 182 fans, and then they're like, Tom DeLonge's going to UFO Town? All right. Yeah, I don't really Let's know who's go. like... I, I really am curious, like, who is signing up to, like, get a ticket on the Tom DeLonge UFO train? <laughs> like, it's very, um, in terms of it, his, like, current, his fan base, like, because, right. you know, you don't like Blink-182 for its depth, and, like, when they start delving into slightly more adult-sounding stuff, like, it didn't, it wasn't received very well. Um, I mean, some people still very much liked it, but there's a, a difference between... Uh, you know, like self-titled and neighborhoods era Blink One Eighty Two, where they're kind of talking about like grown-up things, like normal grown-up things, like love and like not really knowing what you're doing and being like, yeah, exactly. And um, you know, conspiracy theories. Like, I don't know. I think that his new fan base are people who are truthers. Well, it's a weird fan base though because his approach is at odds with the way these people think. Like, the pro-government angle is weird, and the Area 51 thing is, like, kind of out of fashion. And so he's... If he's going for the conspiracy theory crowd, I'm not sure he's, like, really hit the right tone. Yeah, I mean... It'll be really interesting to see if they are into it. Yeah, have you talked to a single person yet who you told I'm reading this book and they like didn't start laughing? Um, no, but to be fair, I did kind of say like, "LOL, I'm reading a 700 page book by Tom DeLonge about aliens." Yeah, I mean, I have too, and that's because that's sort of like the headline. Like, right? Uh, I'm reading this book by Blink 182's lead singer about aliens, um, and then the subtext is like the subhead is like. Actually, it's kind of good and not that crazy. Um, yeah. And that sort of comes later, I guess. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who's going to, like, walk in the store and pick it up. It may be, like, people who are really into Tom Clancy novels or something. Yeah. I feel like that's maybe the audience here is, like, pe- like it, people at the airport. Yeah. It has a really <laughs> good cover. Like, the cover looks really... Um, bestseller ready like giant words on it it looks like a bestseller yeah (laughs) and then there's a secret on the inside cover which should we tell them the secret Mm, yes no 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 no. (laughs) I liked it I just discovered it today also I kind of wanted to ask him about this but uh, I did not because I felt like it might have gotten a very long answer and I I just wanted a very quick answer to it Um, these interstitial sections that he does the font changes in the book. And right. I, I, I'm trying to think if that's some sort of signal. I mean, is it not just a signal that it's an interlude? 
It might be. I mean, that's probably what it is. But <laughs> wait, a, just was he the lead singer in Blink One Eighty Two, or was so, he the? So Mark Hoppus and Tom DeLonge like traded off, but he's the lead singer of the songs that you like probably are most. Right. Yeah. Actually, well, I can't call up in my head what Mark Hoppus sounds like. So I think what's my age again is Mark Hoppus. Let's, but all the small things. Yeah, all the small Tom things DeLong. is definitely Tom DeLonge. Um, like, oh. oh my god. This is such a visceral thing to listen to. Yeah. This is Mark Hoppus. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think that... I don't think Tom DeLonge sings in this song, but... This is, he's very famous for, his voice is very famous in this song, which is off a later Blink-182 album. Um, this is Mark Hoppus, and then when it, mm-hmm. when the chorus cuts in, everyone makes fun of his voice, it's so whiny. You, like, don't have to listen to this, but, like, okay. So that's okay. Tom DeLonge. <laughs> <laughs> and there, there are songs where he sounds a little bit less whiny, but he generally sounds something like that. And he still sounds like that in Angel and Airwaves. Like, in this latest EP, he sounds exactly like that, too. He was super nice. He was great. And I... I, I was bummed I didn't start recording for the beginning mm-hmm. when we first got on the Skype call, because he was, like, kind of funny. That was, like, the only time that he was really bantery was in the beginning. Yeah. When you were when we said that he was your celebrity lookalike. Yeah, and then I, I, said, you didn't get that. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's fine. It's Did you fine. get it? Um, I mean, I recorded our end of it, <laughs> but, but no, I didn't, didn't record. No, Skype. I didn't record yeah. on Skype. I just wasn't quick enough on the drive. I was just so yeah. excited to talk to Tom DeLong. Yeah. At the end of all this, we weren't sure what to think. Jason and I decided we needed the opinion of Motherboard editor in chief Derek Mead and senior supervising producer Chris O'Coin, who are both conspiracy theory enthusiasts. A few days after the interview with Tom, we grabbed Derek and Chris and forced them into a room in the basement of Vice. Noted UFO enthusiast Christopher O'Coin. I saw UFO. Uh, you can read about it on Motherboard. The article's about four years old. Can you but. summarize it for us? Yeah, I saw it at Devil's Tower, which is the location of the infamous uh, UFO encounter from Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Uh, I was a child, so my uh, vision is not to be trusted. And it was probably a bird that was reflecting the sun. But it looked like a silver-shaped thing flying past Devil's Tower. It did not play the song from the movie. Which for the listeners, do, 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 do. The tones. Well, yeah. And then Richard Dreyfus is like, I was right. Fuck you. Anyway. 
So, so. Um, you guys listened to part of our interview with Tom DeLong. Um, right. We also have editor-in-chief Derek Mean with us, we should mention. Hi. <laughs> Derek <laughs> just, like, is just laughing. Like, won't stop laughing. Yeah, I thought you guys forgot about me. So, when did we do this interview, Jason? On Friday. We did this interview on Friday. So, we wanted to ask... Derek and Chris, their opinion of what is going on with this UFO project that Tom DeLong is doing because Jason and I don't have as deep a familiarity with UFOlogy and the types of people who are enthusiastic about it. And Derek and Chris do. Yeah. Is that fair? Uh, yes, I uh, am highly interested in the con- in conspiracy theories and conspiracy theorists because it's a reminder that puppet strings are being pulled around us at all times, and sometimes they're real and sometimes they're perceived. Yeah, I felt like actually in the last, in our debriefing after we did the interview, I felt like maybe we came across as being too... Skeptical? No, non. S- no, like too skeptical of the skeptics. That's like, what I was too, saying. Too skeptical of Tom. Too obviously yeah. swallowing the n- narrative. Drinking that, the Kool Aid. Yeah, drinking the. I'm saying like I. I don't not believe that the government doesn't have the willpower and ability to pull the wool over the American people's eyes. Hmm. I want to be on record saying. It's like I'm not rejecting the whole premise. I'm just you know. <laughs> so, I'm just. So, 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 yeah, yeah. I, I'm trying to figure out what his premise is. I just want to I, say, I, I, say, like, yeah. we are not having a knee-jerk reaction, like, oh, if someone's talking about UFOs, they must be a crazy pants person. No, I mean, there's no. surely aliens somewhere. That's, right. That's, yeah. that's, that's without a doubt there's aliens somewhere. I think what's interesting is he has, like, a couple different threads that he weaves together that are uh, very strange. One, he has this, like, Area 51 uh, obsession, which I think, um, you know, is, like, kind of not the most realistic of conspiracy theories because like Area 51 like it used to be no one knew what it was a couple wouldn't acknowledge it and then the 90s was forced to and now we know that like you know people did tons of secret military testing there and like Lockheed Martin and Boeing like show off planes that they developed there and whatnot. Yeah, it was it was in fucking it was in Zero Dark Thirty and that movie was written by the fucking CIA sort of that's yeah, so like anyway. for them to have an alien that was hidden at Area 51 is very like, I just feel like we would have found that out by now. There's already like the reason that Area 51 was released is because there's a whistleblower lawsuit over like labor law there, which is like, if there were fucking aliens there, someone would have leaked it. If they're complaining about like their work conditions there and having a lawsuit over it, someone would have leaked that there's an alien, unless they were all executed. Which brings <laughs> us to the next conspiracy, which I think is very interesting. And this one actually really stands out to me is that he is arguing that basically the government is putting out knowledge and like seeding alien conspiracies in the popular consciousness and then knocking them down because they're trying to open us up to the idea of aliens being inexistent but it would be like so real that it would blow all of our minds which is like some x-files type shit but also very very fascinating it's very layered and i think also what complicates his theory is that he also believes that there was a period when the government wasn't as coordinated about how it was going to handle this information campaign so in the beginning they maybe staged some fake uh, alien abductions and then 
And then later they decided that was the wrong tack and they took a different tack. Well, funny you should bring this up. Did you, did any of you read Area 51, an uncensored history of America's top secret military base by Annie Jacobson? I missed that one. <laughs> yeah. No, it, was a, it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a, a like a uh, crackpot, like dollar store, like checkout book. It was like an NPR darling Like 1495. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like a full price to right. you go get it at, at Barnes & Noble or whatever. Airport. The purveyors of truth. Uh, Still <laughs> sponsors of this podcast. Just kidding. <laughs> um, no, but it was like a legit book, but it, uh, with like a lot of research to it. And in it, she discussed the Roswell crash. And the Roswell crash, I'm not going to do this justice, and the audience will probably get pissed off. But the essential argument was it that in the in the race between the Soviets and the United States, they we were developing like saucer technology essentially to like scare each other and that the the Roswell crash was a Soviet craft with a child that they had done surgery to this is this is like in the book and yeah. Mm-hmm. This is like accepted. The Soviets, did, the Soviets did Soviets surgery did, on a child, so we would think it was an alien. To make it look like an alien, and then she's like, and we did it. We did it back. Like, well, we did surgeries on children. Well, we sent, sent a child. With I mean, there's also the, uh, what is it? The, there's all those rumors of the Soviet super children that had, like, psychokinesis that could, like, control, like, events on other parts of the planet. I've never but, heard that it's one. Like, it's basically, like, the scanners thing where they could control, <laughs> like, basically move things and control things with their minds. Nice. And, like, predict the future. It's all kinds of weird shit that happened in the 50s. And this is where I think he gets into a very interesting point, is, like, I love when conspiracy theorists are very, they're incredibly excellent at identifying like memes in like classical term, like memetics of like basically ideas that get seeded into society and then stick there and wondering why they're there. Like UFOs are a very interesting thing because naturally we'd be curious to find aliens. And also there's all kinds of weird shit that people see all the time because people are notoriously bad at seeing things. But when this ends up being like these whole elaborate stories, like this Roswell thing, they become part, part of our discourse and our psyche and like it's a touchstone whether it's real or not, at some point it loses all meaning whether it is even real because now we've based that as part of our knowledge. So if you had no idea that aliens even could fly spaceships, you would never think about it. And if you saw one, you'd probably lose your shit. But now, like over time, when you're like, well, it's accepted that odds are aliens are out there somewhere. And yeah, there's fucking maybe an alien crash back then. It could be possible. It could be real. If that ends up happening someday, you would never actually know or you wouldn't be as shocked by it. Right, but then again, if his argument is... And I, what you went, what you were talking about earlier, I read the back, the the jacket of this book, and it's multiple <laughs> titles and all this text that's on it, and I still don't really know. And this is kind of the okay. hallmark of yeah. like conspiracy ish right. talk. It's like, well, wait, what is it about? Yeah. But also, if you're arguing that about aliens, and he's arguing that about aliens, that it's to prepare us for it and not yep. be mentally mm-hmm. shocked by it. Then how come like most movies are aliens like destroying humanity and fucking ripping people apart? Because that's what aliens are gonna do. Except Men in Black. <laughs> but even then they were, yeah. So okay. look, I mean, there's an actual real life precedent for it, which we're going through right now. It's coming up again, which is the uh, the hidden uh, the fourteen papers or whatever from uh, the nine eleven commission. Oh, the where Saudi it, like, Arabia. Yeah, with like details like twenty eight pages. It's twenty eight. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's the uh, detailing, you know, like basically support from Saudi officials for, you know, the, the 9-11 attackers. And it's like, yeah, how did, like, dudes who are uneducated who didn't have passport, or, like, you know, didn't have proper documentation, how did they end up, like, moving to San Diego and living in a house and going to flight school? Like, they clearly had people help, and there's detail for that. But it's something that everyone rejected 
like right when uh, you know right after 9/11 happened because there are other things to focus on but now it's coming back and it's something that's been seeded by conspiracy theorists in and out different ways for so long because it was there that now when people are talking about it you can talk about it more rationally now I'm not saying <laughs> that can... all of this is being people being puppet masters who are saying that this was the government was planning to like break it softly to us because that's fucking crazy like in the sense that the government can go to hell if it's doing but it's interesting because I love conspiracy theorists being able to identify these patterns before other people do yeah it's interesting that they're doing that though but are they doing a disservice to the public and that you know we have been trained to think okay this is maybe plausible and then it comes out like you're trained to think that it's conspiracy theory nonsense and then it comes out and like that would be a huge story if it had come out of the blue but since we've been kind of like uh right like, the like, water's been turned up really slowly and we're like in the pot yeah, like, like we don't care anymore. some people might be like yeah i remember hearing that but they don't remember the moment when it crossed from being conspiracy theory into oh, being reality well in yeah. terms of like 9-11 truth that also is not like first of all you're gonna have the truthers on your ass for even bringing this shit up but i think in terms of 9-11 truth like the saudis like having something to do with it i feel like most people are just like I don't know. I don't. I, I think s people should care, and they might, but they won't care the way that people have been arguing 9/11 truth about like it being an inside job and yada yada yada. Well, here's the thing. It's not. I'm not. Uh, yeah, I don't want to get derailed by talking about 9/11 because <laughs> there's there's a lot to unpack there. And we're separate not gonna, podcast. Yeah, we're not going to ever be able to do any of that justice. But the reason I bring us to this is because. He was saying that this book is historical fiction, right? So it's based on real events, but right. it's something that is meant to be, you know, uh, more entertaining because you're able to take creative license in the storytelling of connecting those events. Exactly. Right? So what I don't get, and this is where things get real loosey-goosey for me, is when you take something that's already conspiratorial and already, like, it's very difficult to discern fact from fiction, and now we're adding an explicit layer of fiction on top of that, you start to wonder, where is where is actually the truth in here? Because you not only have, like, this idea that the truth is that there's a government conspiracy to spread mistruths and lies, but then you're also building something on top of it. And I don't understand, like, for you guys reading this right. book, like, where can you even tell the line between what's real and what yeah, isn't? Yeah, well, I mean, unfortunately, I wasn't, like, intimately familiar with all the actual historical stuff that's in yeah. here. So I wasn't able to say, like, oh, I know this is real, but this is conspiracy. So, like, it's Are you saying that this interview is, means that you're a puppet for the government? Yes. Yeah. I mean, you're that might be the subtext here. Yeah. But, yeah, I think you're her. totally right. Like, he's drawing on both the agreed-upon... U.S. history book version of history and the conspiracy theory version of history. But I think part of the problem with me and conspiracy theories in general is that there are lots of different ones. And and he's coming forward and saying he has the definitive account and he has sources in the Pentagon and he's got the explanation for everything. And it's this, it's this combination of government cover-up and actually aliens and then Soviet... Well, Tom anyway. has sources in the, in the Pentagon? Tom has sources in well, the Pentagon. here's the yeah. thing. I did this tonight when I was, we were, uh, yeah, I did this tonight. I have people, sources I could text that are right. high level and I ask them if aliens exist and they'll know, they'll say something and it'll yeah. be a joke or may not. Like, it's not like, there's a lot of fucking people in the Pentagon. I'm just going to say <laughs> that if you have right. sources that are not to discredit him because I don't know what he's doing. I'm just saying that in general that we should be, that you should always be skeptical. I do think that his message of saying like he wants to inspire people to be curious is very good. 
um, mm -hmm. because I think that everything behind every like insane truth or lie is probably something that I probably didn't say that very well. Behind like every insane story, there's probably there's a kernel of truth, including this one. Mm -hmm. um, and it's important to that. But when he's saying like, oh yeah, in the 70s, UFOs flew over a missile facility and accidentally turned them on. Like there's been incidents where like recorded incidents where like shit like that happened, where like someone like, got a false alarm. There's like Russian guy who saved the world from exploding because he didn't decide to fire a nuclear missile when a, when a radar told him that the, yes. the U.S. had already fired an ICBM at Russia. Mm -hmm. Like shit like that happens. And Usually. the Battle of Los Angeles when they were shooting at UFOs and I forget what year it was. Yes, exactly. Like, this shit happens, but it usually has a fairly, like, Occam's Razor type of explanation for it. But I think the broader message here that he makes is, is more sound than I anticipated, which is that there is so many, like, messaging games at play that as soon as you build out this, like, ecosystem of conspiracy theories, you know that the government, we know the government is taking advantage of that where they can. Yeah, because the craziest conspiracies of all are the ones that are in front of your face, which is what I always said about 9-11 Truth, is I was like, they're literally doing crazy shit in the open. Yeah. That's, like, going to ruin your life and yeah. everyone around you's life. Not to or get or you're talking about crazy. things like, I mean, wh like, what are you seeing? Like, what sorts of things? Are you talking about, like, Patriot Act, etc.? Yeah, I mean, every everything that happened post-9-11 in the open. The wars, right. the, pay you know, things that... I have affected, like, every everybody knows people affected oh. by the wars. Everybody's been affected by the wars, in, indirectly or directly. And, uh... I mean, that's a, what, a, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars in stimulus that comes out of that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's just, like, that was my... That's always my... I mean... I, well. Okay. Well, so one of my main questions was whether this is, like, some kind of elaborate marketing ploy, like whether, you know, like I was saying in one of the other mm -hmm. segments we recorded that if you go on the site, it's all very monetized. It's like you can buy a bundle of a t-shirt with the book, with the soundtrack all together, yeah. and it's like... Uh, Tell them what Sam called it. Uh, oh, yes. We were wondering if it's... I don't know how to... I can't say it out of... The we were Tom DeLong the, the, con? If it's a DeLong con. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean... That's very good. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> it's not the... Fr I mean... The I mean, and also, I was listening to Coast to Coast last night for the first time, and you solid. sign up for, for a membership, and it's six ninety five a month, and it's like fifty nine ninety five per year, and all this stuff... And then Alex Jones today, I was watching Billy Corden... Uh, like spew ver word vomit on Alex Jones. Billy Corgan was on Alex Yes, it was horrible. Uh, <laughs> on anyway, and it's like the show it, it cuts every sixty seconds to an ad for one of Infowars Life's like vitamin supplements. Yeah, like, he sells DNA yeah. Force. Yeah. is one of them. He sells it's merchandise. Like this, it's ridiculous. This whole like it kind of makes me. Some. I mean, it kind of makes me like wonder about the purity of these conspiracy well, theorist theory. Conspiracy theory peddlers. That's the thing about They're that shit. They're trying to monetize shit. this at every turn. Well, it, it's ironic to me. I thought the ironic thing about, you know, Alex Jones is obviously, like, one of the biggest conspiracy theory peddlers. And, and honestly, like, we used to download his movies, like, uh, in the early 2000s and watch them and just go, whoa. And it's hilarious to see what he's turned into, which is just, like, a shill for, like, merchandise and garbage and, like, subscriber fees. And then also supporting... A, an elite dude like Donald Trump, like that's 
the Infowars candidate for president is Donald Trump. Right. A man who's always, and Alex Jones is always like, the elites, the elites are coming for you. Take this rich real estate guy who fucking like, <laughs> who fucks over people left, right, and center, and they're like, this is yeah. the Infowars candidate? Like, that's, it's conspiracy theories kind of eating itself is what you're saying? Like, Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. if, you're, if you're a skeptic and skepticism is your whole thing, like, how do you not be skeptical when your main news source is feeding you ads for supplements every 60 well, seconds? Well, here's the thing. This is the thing that I get real hot and bothered about. And like we should we should tie in a blood pressure meter to this podcast because like I just get real hot around the collar right now like I'm getting steamed up I'm not gonna yeah. lie because here's the thing teaching people to be skeptical is unbelievably important especially today when truth is as fluid as it is um, but the problem is so many people that are looking at conspiracy th theories uh, you know that's too broad a generalization but many people that are into conspiracy theories um, are looking for answers for something where they can feel like they're free of their own decision making right they're like it's not my problem someone else is controlling this right that's one of the allures of conspiracies it's the same thing as like looking for anyone who's trying to free up their personal life and invest it in something that's out of their control um, you know could be, you know, religious or spiritualism or whatever so you're buying that so if Alex Jones is saying fuck these guys they're the ones who are holding you down we are bringing you solutions <laughs> That's like incredibly powerful messaging for people, which is what also works for Trump. Fuck the other guys. Sure. I'm the one who's going to save you from being beat down. But it's empty. So, it's like so well, empty. It's entirely empty, and they're preying on it. And the real problem here is that the actual conspiracies that are out there that are incredibly blatant are right in front of our faces, but no one's able to do anything about it. The perfect example of this is the housing crisis, and you have a bunch of idiots colluding together to basically hustle as much money as they can, and then blew up America, blew up the world economy, and none of them got in any trouble whatsoever, and none of them, no one, everyone's forgotten about that and moved on. And basically left a permanent gap in wages and wealth for all of America between the middle class and poor and the wealthy. And that's an actual conspiracy, that actual is wrongdoing. We actually know things are horrible, but it's hard to get riled up about that because it's a very like specific problem that you can't deal with. But to say that the CIA is controlling aliens and that they're holding us down with like psyops that are like trying to confuse America, that's something that you can be angry about uh, without actually being able to take any action because there's no way of proving it. It's giving you a search. To, it's like a dog chasing after a car, and then when it gets to the car, it doesn't know what to do with then bite it. But I'm wondering if Tom DeLonge is going to make it in this world because he's... No. His, no. He's not, he, he's not clear enough. You... you Conspiracy theory is about being like incredibly blunt. And this, looking at this book, I'm like, I don't know. If there was just a, if, if it was like, if it was like aliens exist. If there was a gray, if the, if the cover was a face of a gray, yeah, and it said like they're coming to kill you or some <laughs> shit. Or like, they, or yeah, they exist. Yeah, that'll be a success, well, you know? But he's also got this like pro government bent that I feel like is going to turn people off. Yeah. I think he also is trying, or he's not trying too hard, but he ends up putting too much effort into being credible to succeed because he says he has so much nuance in what he was saying, like his interview. Right, yeah. So much is like, this happened, this kind of happened, this person says a thing, and they can't actually say it explicitly and said as many pronouns as I just did, of just mm -hmm. like this and that, and you're not totally sure what he's talking about, but he's hedging because he doesn't want to say something that he can't prove, which kudos to him for that. But I think in terms of like opening people's eyes up and like trying to get them to go crazy you know like really buy into this i think it's going to be difficult because it doesn't have that like passionate thing that you get like angry about you know that's what people you want they want to get pissed off at something and just you also all of us have just gotten in this yeah room. and you have to constantly be telling people that you're telling the truth but on the cover of his book right away 
a novel based on actual events and then from the imagination of. Right away, people are like, it's not the truth, it's not real. Yeah, it's like, it's a little bit um, of a mixed, like, thing. It's kind of hard to follow everything he's doing. I don't know what if he should doing. court that audience. I mean, it's not, you yeah, know. Yeah, I think, like, the book is a good book. It's a page-turner. The guy he got to help him write it, I think, knows what he's doing. Um, it's, like, exactly the kind of book that I normally wouldn't like, but I kind of enjoyed it by the end. But he's also trying to say, like, I'm doing... This is the first of three books. It's supposed to be a trilogy. Is it the Secret Machines trilogy? Yeah. All the branding is kind of confusing. Okay. It's like... Secret Machines is the project, which includes, like, documentaries and... uh, both documentaries and fictional films, right. like fictional novels. I think there's going like to be a nonfiction book, too. Like, okay, now wait a minute. Is the point of this... Peter Lavenda, author of Unholy Alliance and the Secret Machines nonfiction series. So okay. there's a fiction series and a nonfiction series But this is form. like quasi-fiction? This is, is the point of this to on take events. fiction and nonfiction and documentary and narrative and all of that and mix it into a jumble to where it becomes like this experiment that's indistinguishable and that's the whole point because if that's the idea that's kind of brilliant like if that's the con if the con is like truth not true this is a documentary this is a narrative and then but that is just takes so the, much effort like, I, <laughs> I mean that's interesting the way he pitches it is that the the fiction stuff is supposed to be an an entree it's supposed to help people like warm up to the idea mm-hmm. and then the the nonfiction stuff is supposed to like actually lay out what's going on I wonder if maybe he thinks about it as, like, some kind of multi-level, like, art exhibit that takes over the entire MoMA and, like, the bottom is fiction, the top is nonfiction. By the time you get through to the end, you have, like, a feeling, you have, like, an experience of truth. That's what he kind of describes it as, is he's trying to, like, make sure that he can... He's being the government agent in the book in that he's opening, he's, like, slowly introducing people to it so they don't get overwhelmed. Now, that's, that's interesting. It, that's what he's saying, yeah. Okay, I didn't listen to the interview. It should be made abundantly clear at this point. But uh, <laughs> I didn't have time. It was a very busy day. But, um, so, sorry. But I'm just going off of of uh, of what's in front of us. Um, no, I, think, I forgot the point I was going to make. I think it's admirable because people these days are not good at discerning truth. Often they don't care if it's true or not because they want to have that support their own confirmation bias. And I think that having him basically say, like, I'm going to give people a spoonful of sugar with their medicine so they can learn how the country falls down. I'm going to give people um, 700 yeah, pages of sugar. Yeah, but, is, yeah, it's a, it's a lot so of sugar. So much sugar. <laughs> it's a lot of sugar. But I think it's, a, I think it's a valuable point, but I think it's also a bad idea because it ends up being too confusing. And if you're already going into a world that is like hard to tell fact for fiction, the, the best thing that you can do here is to distill things down into very clear points. Right? There's a UFO website that has all the documents on it. Every UFO document the government's ever released, it's over a million pages of documents. Yeah, right? Like no one's ever going to read that nonsense, but that's where you're going to find what's actually yeah, happened. That's like a tangible. good starting point. Yeah. Have you guys seen the movie Mirage Men? Sorry to interrupt. No. Okay, then we won't talk about it. Do you agree with his premise though that people like they need this fictional narrative to like be drawn into it? In terms of he's saying that the basically the, those million documents are too boring. Um, and you, I guess he doesn't think he can distill them into like a compelling narrative. Yeah, I, I think I people need, believe that. Yeah, people need some kind of handholding. I think that saying they need fiction is maybe not. But yeah, but at the same time, there's already been a lot of fiction about 
aliens and government conspiracies. It's not like that that idea is going to be totally 100% new to anyone. Yeah. Like, people are already familiar with that, how that would function. We haven't really talked about the fact that this is like Tom DeLonge of Blink-182. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we haven't so, talked about you, that at all. This is what I am curious about. I cannot for the life of me figure out what inspired him to do this because not only is he the member of two highly successful bands, um, but well, okay. um, but also uh, like this is such a crowded like market for lack of a better <laughs> word to get into. Like, Why would you decide to write the like 14,000th UFO book based on, like, similar stories. So he does, he has a track record. He's been into this stuff. I think it's documented he's been into this stuff ever since he's been giving interviews. He also launched a project before Mm. called Strange Times that was a website for documenting UFO stuff. That one didn't really get off the ground. I think it still exists as a Facebook page. Also, Aliens Exist, the seminal Blink-182 song. That's right. (laughs) Right, right. yeah. Did he? So, does well, he, he sings that right? He's yeah. no longer a member of Blink One Eighty Two now. That's right. It was replaced by the guy from Alkaline Trio, right? Matt Skiba. Yeah. yeah. Um, How many of you have seen Blink One Eighty Two in concert? I have seen them once at a festival for free. I saw them like three or four times, man. <laughs> I never Before saw, Travis Barker I never was saw in Blink. Band too. Really? I don't know if I saw them either. I remember them being pretty good. You know, I did see. Well, I, saw, I would girl. expect them to be good. I saw Dropkick Murphys at Warped Tour in Sacramento one time, though. Oh, sick. I never Let's understood. Talk about that. That's cool. I, I never understood how all the dudes for like Irish pump bands would show up at a festival and immediately have these twenty foot high flags they'd be waving. And I'm like, where did you? How did you sneak that in? Like it's these huge flags would appear only for those bands. Now that is what I need explained. Our aliens are out there, but like I need to figure out. These I think flags. the label gives them out probably. Like to all these dudes. Huge flags. <laughs> in the crowd. Are you talking about in the crowd? In the crowd, yeah. Stage. Like people waving Just the giant like, banners. All of a sudden, just Irish. Yeah, only for Irish band. Oh. Like, hmm. Dropkick Murphys and Floggy Molly always had that. They had banners, too? Strange. Yeah, they had banner crowds and then the, with the banner. I think they were strange they were crisis times. actors. They were yeah. placed there. Whatever happened to banner, the crowds with banners? I haven't seen that. In like... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I have to go do an interview. This is, you're doing an interview right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the I most am. important interview of your <laughs> life. Yeah. Okay, so to close, I think the question we wanted to make for this podcast is whether is like is Tom DeLong serious about this UFO stuff I think he is genuine and earnest yeah. in his approach absolutely he's been dumping money and time into this for years ever yeah. since that song yeah. like he, he you've seen him like talking about it and for, from what I can tell based on the limited like news that I've seen he di- he decided not to do Blink-182 so he could focus on this correct? Right. He really yeah. does seem to believe this is the mm. most important thing he will ever do. I mean hats off to him that's mm. admirable you know yeah. what I mean? Like He sounded very genuine and I am impressed at the effort that he's putting in because he definitely is not doing this as some fly-by night quick get rich quick scheme off the alien millions out there no it'd be like the worst get rich quick scheme ever (laughs) so you don't think it's a delong con only a con in so far as like he he wants he believes he's an important voice for this like that's all it's it's an ego con if anything but what's an ego the con? dreaded then? ego con. No, but I mean, like, he's That's not... so easy to fall into. The money the money aspect of him bundling it is just the way shit's sold nowadays, especially if you right. have, like, if you're a musician, like, every band does, like, that package bullshit where it's, like, get the record and the t-shirt and the... I don't know if they have a book. And some, some of them do. I want, I want a t-shirt. t-shirt yeah. yeah. Uh, 
Cool. Yeah. No, I think it's genuine and it's earnest, but I, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, I don't know if it's going to be what is the blockbuster that opens everyone's eyes. All right. Well, let's check in one year from now when Jason and I will read the second 700-page book in The Secret Machine. Yeah. Story. They come out one a year? Is that, is that the release schedule? You know what? I'm not sure. It could be like Star Wars where it's like one fiction, then one non-fiction, you know. Oh, right. I mean, not that fiction is non-fiction. That's not a Star Wars I've seen Star Wars. No, the new Star Wars is like they're doing canon and then they're doing side stories. No, they're all canon. It's not fiction. Well, no, they're all canon. They're all canon. Sorry. Okay, I just investigate it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. What Please. if one year from today we're looking into some sort of mysterious disappearance of Tom DeLonge? Then we'll yeah. know it's true. Yeah. Th- they can simulate if, all kinds of things with radio waves. I think they will become the mission him. of Radio Motherboard to investigate yeah. what happens to Tom DeLonge if anything does happen to him, which right. I really hope not because he's a super nice yeah, guy. Yeah, it's going to be so yeah. fucked yeah. up. If we have our eyes on you, Well, government. all I do is they'll just wipe <laughs> him from our... Oh, right, yeah, we could do the Men in Black Flash Do you guys ever feel like you've been hit with the Men in Black Flash thing? Yeah, all the time. Yeah, me too. Thank (laughs) you, Editor-in-Chief Derek Mean. Thank you. And thank you, Crystal Coin. Thanks. And now it's time for you, dear listener, to make your own judgment. Email us at letters at motherboard.tv and tell us what you think. That music, which you also heard at the top of the podcast, is Overload by Angels and Airwaves. Thank you to Tom DeLong. Thanks to the large cast of this extra-long podcast. And thanks to our editor, Mark Liam Bruni. And a special thanks to you, the listener. Subscribe, please rate us on iTunes, and tweet about the show if you liked it. The truth is out there. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.